Greg Gibbs, creating a culture of generosity. Thanks, Bob and Bobby. Hello, y'all. Um, you're the few, the proud, the remaining Presbyterians. You didn't take off early. I thank you, because I put a lot into this, and I hope you get a lot out of it. My name is Greg, as Bob said, and I live in Michigan. I grew up in Philly, but I married my college sweetheart, who is a Detroit girl, so I live just outside of Detroit. I travel the country working with churches uh, on a couple of different things, but kind of my heart and passion, and really probably three quarters of my consulting work is around the issue of generosity. Uh, so I actually see people in my hometown who say, hey, you're the money guy. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want that title, but I think I understand what you mean, and that is uh, I do care about how that plays into our Christian lives. So um, I don't feel like I need to preach to the choir on the importance of this, but what I feel like my job to do is today give you a lot of the nuggets of the process that we put churches through to create a culture of generosity. So um, the book is broken down into uh, five ways. By the way, I'm not trying to sell books. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about Amazon, you know that if you buy my book for 10 bucks, I make 32 and a half cents. So, um, I mean, I guess every penny counts. So if you, wanna, if you wanna drop 10 so that I can get 32, that's, you know, big time for me. But anyway, uh, the book, here's why I write books. It, it, I'm a little bit of a scatterbrained, absent-minded professor, and if I don't get it down and kind of into a thing, then it's gonna always constantly be kind of doing this, right? So the book is the impetus behind our actual training model that we take senior leaders of churches through. So it's kind of like, at least the way my brain works, I've got to write it out in a book so that I can make training materials so that I can help you. So that's really why I don't want you to think that this is a, a, book, a book sale seminar. Um, so creating a culture of generosity was intentionally named because so much of what we do in the church, and I grew up in the church, right? I grew up in a little church uh, outside of Philadelphia. I pastored a church of 500. I was an executive at a church of 17,000. So I've kind of seen all the different brands and all the different sizes, but they all share this same challenge, right? And if you've been in church your whole life or even not your whole life, you know, and, and here's why. It's because for both the pastors and leaders and the people, it is one of the most emotional, spiritual, complex issues in the Christian life. So what we tend to do when things get complex is either ignore or oversimplify neither of which are ideal because ultimately discipleship is not simple, right? It's messy when we're trying to mentor people in the faith. And so you add just the messiness in general of discipleship to the topic of money and it gets really wonky. So this book is, uh, it has frankly a lot of chapters. They're, they're short chapters, but each of them kind of represent components of things that I think you need to think about. So as much as I'm giving you a lot of advice and ideas, I also am a, a kind of consultant that promotes the idea that you're actually the one that needs to decide. You're the one that needs to decide based on your culture, your theology, the way you do church. Like I'm not gonna say that the same things that work at some churches, even similar Presbyterian churches will work one to the other. So of course a lot of it's transferable, which is what we're gonna talk about right now but I just want you to know that I think you need to do some homework as the senior leaders of churches and make sure you've got your act together based on what God is calling you to do in your specific location. Let me tell you what I mean by that by going through some of this material. 
I, my, kind of my underlying thesis is Jesus people should be the most generous people in the world. We kind of have no reason not to be <laughs> because of what God has done in us and through us. And so when I say Jesus people should be the most generous people in the world because we're expressing the God we serve, I have a problem in my heart at that point because we're not. As a matter of fact, one study I read in the research for my book said that we're actually, by percentage of income given, behind the other major world religions. So, because I believe Jesus people should be the most giving people in the world, we start interacting with churches on kind of what are some of the biggest financial things that they're facing. In other words, we want to kind of do some research and find out What's the deal? What's happening in the churches? How can we help? What are the major issues or problems or challenges? This is what we found out. The three top things that came up when we asked what are your challenges or obstacles were an aging donor base, church debt, and a lack of generosity strategy. So I was pleased to know in one regard that one of the major problems is lack of generosity strategy because that's what I do. So it, it gives me job security. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, we got some work to do. There are over 330,000 churches in America, most of whom struggle with this. And uh, I think there's a lot of upside potential. So here's what it is, five waves. You've heard me mention it already. If you've ever heard me talk in the last probably six to 12 months, but we encapsulated it in five waves. By the way, if you give me your email, I'll give you all of this stuff. The keynote, whatever you want, um, you know, you can totally have. But anyway, if you want to take notes, that's cool too. Five waves, theology, discipleship, strategy, communication, and integration. So what I'm, I'm literally going to do right now so that you get the goodies is I'm going to show you the table of contents for every wave. And then say, here's what I do in the book on, on this section. Here's what I do in the book on this section. But I want you to imagine with me that were I working with your church individually, or one of my team was working with your church individually, we literally come and sit down with you and your senior leadership and sit down in one of those waves and say, okay, what are we gonna do with this wave at your church? The end result of which, once we've gone through the five waves with you and your team, you will have a written plan that is proactive, that is customized to your church, that is in your church calendar. And if you heard me talk yesterday, you know that what I've experienced is most churches are reactive and not proactive. And most churches talk about money in terms of finances and the budget, not in terms of spiritual growth and discipleship. So I'm trying to say, what if you move from here to there, then you would be changing the culture. The culture that we're trying to create is generosity, not just so you have a lot more money to work with, although you will, but more so, so that it's a normalized discussion in church life. I was coaching somebody yesterday just in the hallway and it was a young woman who was leading a church and she said, when it comes to interacting with people about their wealth, like really wealthy people, how do you, how do, you do that, Greg? How do you recommend, am I even allowed to do that? You know, whatever. And I won't tell you about our whole conversation, but I will tell you this, that I modeled for her what I do. I'll sit down with a wealthy guy like Scott and I'll say, Scott, it's kind of neat that God's provided a bunch of money for your family. Isn't that kind of cool? 
Isn't that fun that you get to give it away and whatever? I just kind of like step right into it with people because here's what I know about wealthy people. They talk about money all the time. It's not a, it's not a, a big deal. They're, they're talking about it every day. That's what they do, right? And yet pastors and church leaders sometimes are like, oh my gosh, I know Scott has a lot of money, but I don't want to talk to him about it because he'll think I'm after his money and blah, 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 blah. All these things that I think the evil one keeps us afraid and lacking courage. Where sometimes Scott is the most lonely guy in town because he's the boss of a company, he's got the corner office, he can't talk to his employees, he can't, his wife's tired of listening to him. So as the pastor, I can go, hey bro, man, is it, it's mostly fun to have the wealth that you have, right? Or is it, what, what are the burden areas and how does that play into your spiritual life and whatever? And as soon as you're normal about it, they're normal about it. Someone said to me about the whole topic, by the way, I'm getting off. I have so many rabbit trails I can go on with you all. I promise I won't do too many. We got on the topic of should pastor look at the giving records, right? You know what I've learned about people, particularly people of wealth? They presume you look at the giving records. You know why? Because they run businesses and they wouldn't not look at the records. They're like, well, I got to know where my money's coming from. And I got to know what my major customers are and my minor customers. And what if I have a customer that's not paying anymore, whatever. I know it's not all like business. And I don't want to make it that way. I have a pastor's heart. I get that. I'm just telling you, we have so many weird narratives in our head as pastors and leaders of churches. Weird narratives. They're not biblical. They're not practical. They're nothing, just weird narratives that somebody told you sometime 20 years ago and you can't get it out of your head. So these are the, these are the five ways. Let's rip through them. Here we go. Um, yeah. So the reason it starts at chapter 6 is I have a whole introduction I'm not going to do with you right now. The first five chapters are me basically making the case for you and your team. So let's say you do the book or the process. The first five chapters are all that stuff I just talked about why it's a very important issue, why church giving hasn't changed in 100 years, it's still 2% of income, why we're now not the number one world religion in terms of giving, how if we changed this in our churches, lots of things could change, the hearts of people, the marriages of people, all kinds of things, blah, blah, blah. That's the intro. Then we go into first wave, theology. What you believe matters. What I basically say is, everyone kind of presumes, oh yeah, yeah, theology of giving or whatever. It's about the tithe, right? Most people have it limited right down to like one theological principle, the tithe. And there's even questions about that. So I can't come in and presume even about the tithe with some churches. Some, some of you pastors will say, yep, that's what everybody does. You start at the tithe and go from there. Other people will say, nope, do whatever you want. It's grace. God loves you no matter what. You don't have to give to earn God's love. Great. Is it a combination of all those things? Probably. And some churches, it's, you know, we kind of pound out. Other churches, we back away from that. Some churches see it as an Old Testament thing, New Testament, whatever. I kind of don't care what you believe, but you need to care. Because otherwise, how are you going to lead a church and lead other leaders in your church and your staff if there's confusion about one very basic principle? But in this section, we actually go through some of the major themes of scripture. And again, it's not like deep, maybe seminary level, but it is some pretty hardy stuff. Because I'll tell you what, if you don't have a theology of justice to the poor, by the way, everybody's into justice these days. Talk about justice without talking about money. I dare you. Everybody's like, oh, we're into justice. Oh yeah? 
Well, then what's your theology of generosity, money, possessions, and giving related to justice? Because I guarantee you, money has to do with justice. Here's what I guarantee you about the scripture. When you start looking at the scripture in terms of how money weaves itself through the heart of God and the narrative of scripture, you're going to go, oh boy, we're way behind. Because it has to do with the poor and our understanding of the poor. It has to do with all kinds of things that, that are rooted in the Old Testament that transfer even in a more gracious way to the new in the new covenant. And if you don't have a solid theology of money, I just think you're missing out. You're missing out on um, the opportunity to teach people. One of the things I say, and I'm just going to say it in this theology section and we'll keep moving. No, you know what I'll do? I'll pause if you have any questions. Um, the theology section I also do, chapter 11, is the critical questions most churches face. It's like my top, I think, nine questions. It's like, should the pastor look at the giving records and do people actually have to tithe and all that kind of stuff, right? The ones I hear everywhere I go. So I tackle them in the book. But let me just tell you my basic understanding of why it's so important to have a solid theology of money-giving generosity. You all know what the number one problem for conflict in marriage is, right? Y'all know what causes siblings who once loved each other to never talk to each other again for the rest of their lives, right? You know what causes lack of ethics and integrity and therefore corruption in business? I won't keep going. Y'all are preachers, so you know what I'm doing with this right now. So here's how I imagine it. I imagine that people come walking through the church doors and they've got bruises and scars and they're limping. They're the wounded that are coming in. A lot of their stress, anxiety, worry, marriage problems, business problems, physical problems. And they come walking in hoping that maybe you all have some sort of a cure. And we say, oh, don't talk about money. Don't talk about it because maybe it'll offend somebody. Really? Or you don't talk about money and they die because of their wounds. So, for me, it's obviously a pastor's passion to say, as much as we're afraid of it, what that, it says more about our health as leaders around the topic than it does about some pastoral technique to avoid a controversial topic. So again, I'm preaching to the preachers, but I think I have to. That's kind of my job, right? So interesting stuff. Probably a review for some of you. Some of you are way better theologians and Bible scholars than I am. But I felt like, man, if I'm going to write a book about creating a culture, how can I go to Christian people in Christian churches and not say, you better root it in something that has to do with your theology. Otherwise, you're just winging it. Okay? So that's theology. Any questions about that? Because I'm going to move it about this pace through the other four. Um, I think right now it's uh, Muslims. Really? Yeah. I think it's Muslim, Jew, Christian, at least in the study that I cited in the book, which is probably five years old. Yeah. And it's not by much, but here's the point. I was shocked. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, percentage of income. But not in total. Not in total necessarily. Yeah. So I'm talking about individual giving. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anything else? Okay. So, like, for instance, here's like a little tidbit you can take away. You don't, you don't even need the consultant guy. You just take this question home with you, all right? Poll your leadership team. What is our church's view of the criticality of giving in the life of a Christian? Sorry, Christians should be capitalized there. What I find is this in most churches about a lot of these topics. You think all your leaders are on the same page, and they're not. Now, is that terrible sin? No. But there's a different way. <laughs> and the different way is to have a serious, godly, pastoral conversation about how critical this is. What about this? How do we primarily describe the motivation for giving? I think you could kind of go any one of those, right? But let me tell you, I'm going to put a paper clip in this because I'm going to talk about it when I get to the fifth wave. You have four or five generations of people in your church, and all of them think about money and giving differently. So if you're a kind of pastor, preacher, teacher that says giving is about our gratitude to God, or giving is about our loyalty to the church, or giving is about obedience, or giving is about whatever, I, I assert to you that you may be missing an opportunity to connect with a group that will not connect with that motivation. Now again, do I care which motivation you pick or how many or how you talk about it? I really don't. But I think you have to think through it. So this for me is kind of theology. It's the theology section. It, it leans practically because it has some of those Q&As about should pastor look at the giving list, blah, blah, blah. But it does have this whole sort of rich review. And I borrow from the teachings of Craig Blomberg from Denver Seminary and others who have gone before me. So I'm just adding my voice to the conversation. So this is the idea. When we, we walk through this stuff, we walk through it this way. By the way, there's this whole section that I've learned about um, the generosity pathway. And here's what I want to say about this. And so a lot of this is about... Uh, well, let me say two things really quick. In the what type of church are you section, it has a whole thing about... Um, different ways that churches approach the giving generosity question. For instance, you remember missionary George Mueller who never talked about money and got what he needed, right? So that's kind of a philosophy of fundraising. God will provide. And I can't knock that because God does provide. <laughs> And sometimes that's how it works. But then you have others. Uh, we look at Hudson Taylor and other sort of missionary examples of how Hudson Taylor would um, alert people to his need, but not ask. And then Moody in The Great Awakenings, who would alert people and ask. So there's three different kind of styles of... Now, again, what I ask you is, what's your style? God will provide. Well, I don't need to ask Bill for any money. Or I'm, I'm going to alert people to my need. So I am going to talk about money, but I'm just not going to go specifically and say, Bill, will you and your wife make a gift to our church? Or is it the third one? So these are the kind of things I stir up in conversation because I want you and your team to kind of decide, what are we? Again, I don't care. You need to care. Discipleship pathway. Here's the thing that was so revealing to me, and other people have done work on this, Nelson, Searcy, and others, but here's the thing. When I was a little boy and someone was teaching me how to pray, my first prayers were, Dear Jesus, thank you for my macaroni and cheese. Amen. <laughs> and then over time, 
People mentored me to the point that now my prayers sometimes are deep and anguishing or joyful or tearful or complex or whatever. But there was a journey between thank you for mac and cheese and complexity. When people taught me how to read the Bible as a little boy, there were really thick pages with cartoon characters of David and Goliath with just a few words on them that I would get read. And then eventually I learned to study systematic theology at the master's degree level. There were a lot of steps of maturing and discipleship between big thick pages with cartoon characters on them and systematic theology. Guess what we do in the category of giving in the church? It's like a light switch. You're either not giving or you're giving. You're either not generous or you're generous. It's binary. It's one or the other. You're either not tithing or you're tithing. That's all preachers know how to talk about is tithing. I mentioned yesterday that I have a book that's a little bit, I guess, sarcastic or, or biting that I basically say, stop talking about tithing, even if you believe it. And some of, the thesis, some, of the, some of the thesis of that book is, it's not working. It's not working. So for your whole life, you can talk about the tithe all you want, but if you don't have some other part of creating a culture of generosity besides your preaching, you will continue to define insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Right? So there needs to be a few things. Number one, more than just your preaching. I'm not saying don't preach. I'm just saying there needs to be more. And secondly, you can't expect people to go from zero to tithe. Now, I've had people say, yes, I can, because it's obedience. And I say, okay, so let's talk about theology. Does that mean that people are sinning if they're not tithing? Some would say yes. As a matter of fact, in the Malachi passage, it indicates that people are cursed. So I say, so if your people aren't tithing, are they, is God cursing them? Now, I'm trying to be a little bit of a jerk, honestly. And here's why. Because I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what you're implying when you say certain things in your theology of giving. Here's what I would suggest. I'd suggest you have a pathway. And we have churches that create pathways that usually have four or five stages to them in the evolution of being a generous disciple. First of all, we ask you to describe what is a generous disciple in your mind and in your theology. And we literally write out, well, it's a person who does this and says this and believes this and gives that and whatever. And we say, okay, if you're shooting for that kind of a disciple, you need to show the pathway that doesn't flip a switch, but goes from one to two to three to four to five stages. So it's fascinating. We create the pathway and all of a sudden people feel a little bit more at ease. Because I'll tell you what usually happens is pastors think, if I just tell the people that I'm tithing, that, that means I'm a good model citizen and I'm kind of ex being a good example of how to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's what most people do. They go, I can't do that. I'm out. He's a super Christian. This guy's a super Christian. I can't be like him. He does have no idea what kind of bills I have and ba 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 ba. So he must have some secret super spiritual power that I don't have. He says 10%. If that's what we're doing, I'm out. That's why 40% of the people at any church don't give anything on record to your church. Not because they're bad people. But they don't have the tools. And, and then when they hear examples of people that give either a lot of money or a lot of percentage, they're like, you didn't give me any other option than being either little old me or a super Christian like pastor. I have no other options until we work with churches that create a pathway. And they say, well, one of your options is just to try to give anything. 
Another option is to try to give anything consistently. Another option is to then calculate your giving as a percentage of your income and find out what it is. And by the way, I love when people do that math because then they go, oh my gosh, honey, we're giving the church 2% of our income. Well, one of the reasons that I think people continue to give the church 2% of their income is they don't even do the math. They're not adding it up. As soon as you ask them to add it up, they're going to go, we should really be giving the church more than 1% or 2%, right? And so you create a pathway. And so we work with churches on creating a custom pathway. You can do it without me, but that's what we do. And we give them an action step for every pathway. By the way, one of the most fun things we do is we create the five steps of the pathway and then we put out an anonymous survey to the entire church and they tell us where they're at in the pathway. And they do. They're not afraid to. So then pastors come back and go, cool, we have people at every one of the five stages. Isn't that amazing? Our church has people that are growing in their faith and they're all over the map. So there's no finger wagging like, oh, we got 30% of our people at stage one. You dopes. You say, look at this, we got 30% at stage one and 12.5% at stage two and 22% at this stage. And then you say, can you imagine, I don't know who you are at any of the stages, but at our church, we're about growth, which means we're about, you just take your next step. You don't take the ultimate step, maybe you take the next step. Now, some of you want to skip stages and go from stage one to stage five, knock yourself out. But all I'm asking you to do, bro, is pray about going from stage one to stage two. Then people go, okay, I can do that. And pastors and leaders, do you know what happens if most of your people take one baby step in any one of those stages? Really good stuff. Spiritually, because I know God is good and faithful. And financially, because when a lot of people take even little steps, it really works. So that's why you hear me talking about, do you want your giving to go up 10% or 20%? I can say that. You know why I can say that? Because it's really not rocket science. You're just kind to people and you show them the pathway and you say, just take one little step. Oh, you got a hundred people taking one little step and it's kind of unavoidable that the giving goes up. But more importantly, you're starting to normalize conversation. So people start to know in our churches that we work with, they know what the pathway is and they know where they're at. They're like, yeah, I mean, if you ask them, they say, I'm like stage two. And we give them better names than stage one, stage two, right? But anyway, that's the idea behind that. Questions about discipleship. Okay, you're doing great. This is it. Like if you, if you had homework on the, on the airplane on the way home or with your team or just in conversation, describe a generous disciple. What would you like to see happen in the hearts and minds of your people? And create your pathway. Sketch it out. Is it three levels, four levels, five levels? What would you call those levels? We actually, when I originally did this, we, we actually were super complex. It's in the book. We said a level one person who's a pre-giver they haven't given yet. We tried to create that person in our minds. They're at our church, they kind of like us, but they're nervous about giving. Or they got burnt at a previous church, or whatever it is. We literally tried to create that person in our minds and then say, what do we need to do to disciple that person? That's what I would do if I were working with your church. I would say, create your four people. Draw stick figures on the whiteboard and say, okay, here's pre-giver Sally. Let's talk about pre-giver Sally. What does she feel? What is she scared of? Why is she at our church? How could they be at our church and not giving? You ever ask yourself the question that? You know, these are the kind of things. I think it's fascinating. So you and your team can do that. There's a whole section we do about strategy. 
which actually is the nuts and bolts stuff. This is like, how does the engine run? This is like, do you do an audit? Do you self-elect to do an audit? This is like, what are your internal controls? What's your policy and procedure? Do you have a mechanism to receive non-cash gifts like stock? Do, do you have a trigger that your business administrator says to you, Pastor Bill, hey, Bob Welsh just gave a large gift. You probably should bump him a note or a text or a phone call and say, thanks, Bob. Or do you have an administrator that says to you, hey, Andrea and her husband were giving consistently for five years straight and they, they've stopped. You may want to find out what's, what's going on with Andrea and her, and her husband. Do they, are they mad at us? Are they having marriage problems? Do they need money? What, what is it? Because what you may find out is you actually need to give people money. But not if you don't have policy and procedure and systems and what we call them in the book is triggers. Something will trigger a response from you, Pastor. It's, they gave a big gift. They're not giving any more. They gave their first gift. You know, whatever it is, you decide, but you got to have the triggers in place so that you can create a culture where it's just okay to talk about money. It's just a thing that God has provided so that we can do ministry. So that's, this is like the nuts and bolts nerdy stuff. What does your data tell you? As I said, I, I know a couple of these general statistics, like 40% of any group, any church, any denomination, whatever, 40% of the people that go to your church do not give something that you can record in your giving books. Which, by the way, makes it very interesting when you're running a capital campaign. Because 60% of your people are givers, and 60% of that group will give to a capital campaign. Mathematicians in the room just figured out that 36% of your congregation will help you with a capital project. And I have people to come to me and say, well, we have a general budget of $500,000, but we're doing a $10 million project. <laughs> okay. You are going to keep me in business for a long time. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, just for free, we're not talking about this today, but I, my first book I wrote about capital campaigns. And so there's probably enough of the books for enough of you in the room. So if you want this, just take it. So I'm not talking about capital campaigns today, but I did talk about it in this book, and you can have it. Um, so, so that's that. We, this, this, is, this is the thing where you start to see in the strategy section proactive, put stuff in the calendar. I run into so many churches that say, yep, October is our month. We talk about giving in October. And then whew, we're done. We don't have to talk about it for another year. That's not a culture of generosity. I'd probably just not come to church in October at your church. I'd just skip it. <laughs> Communication. This is not, again, rocket science. This is not big stuff, but you need to have a plan about communication. For instance, I would say, because giving, if you've ever heard me talk, and I said it yesterday, I think it's the number one issue of discipleship in the modern Christian American. Billy Graham, whether you like Billy Graham or not, he was a pretty influential dude. He said, if you get the money thing right, a lot of the rest of your Christianity will fall into place. It's such a stronghold for us. For me, I teach about it. And guess what I fight with my wife about? It's a big deal, right? So if, so if we don't recognize that, we're not helping anybody out. But, but here's the idea. Uh, communication is a big deal because we need to make sure it's proactive. I still, by the way, 
I'm a big believer in capital campaigns. Still love them. People are like, pandemic, buildings, people aren't coming to church anymore, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, there is nothing like capital campaigns for meeting needs, forwarding vision, and getting people on board with Jesus Christ. So if you want to run a capital campaign, I can help you with that. But that's not what we're here to talk about. But it's in my book, because you know why? Because I think creating a culture... Here's what I hear from some churches. We're going to run this capital campaign congregation, but I promise we'll never do this again. (laughs) I'm not going to that church. You know why? They've basically said, we're never going to have vision ever again that requires us to fund it. We're never going to think big outside the box. Because you know why? We're so scared that you're going to get mad at us about money. I'm not going to your church. There's a whole thing about how to measure stuff. By the way, a little advertisement, since I have the floor and a few more minutes to talk. I created a little company. It's called the Impact Report Company, and here's why. Church after church after church I go to says, how do we report about giving and what's going on in our church? Do we put the amount in the bulletin every week or the program every week? Give you a short answer. No. Because no one knows how to understand that in context. No one knows whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. No one knows what that means in terms of your vision. And when we report only on things that really have nothing to do with the impact of our ministry, like how many people showed up and how much money they gave. By the way, do you know that you can have a really busy church where a lot of people show up and give money and not make any disciples? I'm not really into that. I'm getting a little tired. And churches that don't care about what actual impact they make are a little exhausting to me. Because you're just trying to maintain a storefront, basically. Pardon my whatever. But here's what I know. A lot of your churches are making an impact. You don't know how to report it. Your church is doing something in the community. You're serving the poor. You're helping little kids learn how to read after school. You're doing all this kind of stuff, and no one knows. And so what we did is we said, forget it. We're, we're creating a little group. It's a little three of us that work on the side. And we basically help churches create reports that are graphic, that are fun, that are easy to read, that's like, man, you do that one, two, or three times a year in front of your congregation, and they go, oh my word. Number one, our church is being transparent. Number two, our church is having impact. Number three, I had no idea. Now, what happens to my heart? My loyalty to the church goes up. My willingness to give money to the church goes up. My engagement with the mission goes up. My ability to spread the word about what our church is accomplishing in the community goes up. So that's all I'm gonna say because I realize I'm self-interested a bit. But, but this, whether you do that with me or not, you got to do this, right? That's part of communication. This is about one of my favorite things for you to do. Ask a person under 30 to evaluate how you communicate about money. You wouldn't believe the earful I get from my four children about what I do for a living and what they think the church is all about. These are kids that love Jesus. But they're 28, 26, 24, and 22. And they're like, Dad, you guys are clueless. You guys meaning like old people, you know. I, I did, a, I did a, a focus group in my home. I brought in 20 of them. 
and just said, tell me about it. And you wouldn't, I wouldn't have time today, but you wouldn't believe what I've learned from them. First of all, let me just tell you this. Do not criticize young people. I'm telling you, Jesus people that are young people, I don't know how to speak to the ones that are not following Jesus. I really don't. But I brought in Jesus young people. They are so thoughtful about their giving. So I'm now a, a cheerleader for the, you know, I was, I was saying I'm going to write a book called Those Damn Millennials, because that's what I hear from all y'all. Those damn millennials, right? They won't give us any money and they don't, right? I'm not going to write that book. It's a little indelicate. But here's what I learned. They think about where the money's going. They think about who is in charge of the money and whether he or she has integrity as a leader. They think about the sustainability of the effort. Is it a one-time shot or does it have an evergreen life to it? I'm like, holy smokes, I've been just tithing. I thought that was good. But I'm, I don't think about it. I don't pray about it. They pray about it. They ask questions about it. They grapple with it, which is why some of us are not getting their money. You know why? We don't have good answers to their questions. Okay, so ask your young people about that and think about times you can say things like thank you. Okay, I'm going to land the plane here, I promise. This is the fun one. Generational differences, leadership accountability. This is all, how do you get this into the pews, right? So you can have a plan, but if you don't write out your generosity discipleship plan, chapter 31, that's the pinnacle, right? We've written it out. Now we know what we're going to do, but you've got to integrate it. For instance, how are you going to in integrate a culture of generosity at your church? If the people who are helping you lead the mission, volunteers and staff, don't have some expectation of how they're supposed to play in the generosity space. Do you hold your leaders accountable? Do you look at whether or not they're giving? Do you ask them about their love for the Lord in terms of how they sacrifice and are generous? Because I'll tell you what, they're leading your Sunday school classes, they're leading your small groups. Let me tell you where giving culture is most created. It's not in this room, the preaching room. It's created when someone goes out in the parking lot and says, Bill, because Bill's a Sunday school teacher, right? He's got a lot of people. Bill, church is doing this giving emphasis right now. Isn't that like a little creepy? And what Bill says in that moment in the parking lot is critical. But if you haven't held Bill accountable or you haven't talked to Bill about his giving, you're screwed. Because they're listening to him more than they're listening to you because that's their Sunday school teacher who they love. And, and if he goes, yeah, well, you know, the whole giving thing, it's kind of overrated. I think pastor's nervous and so that's why he's talking about it. And, you know, we're behind budget and blah, 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 blah. If he does that, pfft. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I've never talked to one of my staff or leaders about their giving. It's okay. Most haven't. But you can change. And you will have a hard time creating a culture of generosity if you don't talk to your leaders about their giving. That's my, that's my opinion. That's all it is. So, discuss with your leadership team how many generations are in your church and how they may view giving. And then what would an increase in the culture of generosity mean for your church's mission just beyond paying the bills. Okay, that's it. We're going to wrap up really soon. But do you have any questions for me or anything that I can help you with right now? Yes, sir. So, our church has moved to, the, to our path. Yeah. And I was just, I've never used it. I, I, I'm more traditional. Yeah. I want to know, is there a way to build what you're describing, to build the steps, have it split in that? Yeah. 
mean, I think anything you can explain on a website, you can explain on an app. I think it could get a little too much on the app. Um, but yes, you can. You sure can. Yeah. And by the way, I would use the app just once so that you can experience it. Yeah. <laughs> because then you can talk to people about it. You can say, hey, I'm a traditional, I'm, I like to write checks, but honestly, I use that app. It's awesome. Look, if you can do that, then you have just covered two generations at least. Because the older generation says, I'm not using an app, I'm writing a check. And the other, younger generation says, I don't even know how to write a check. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. And I got a son, I got a son who's like, Dad, when's our church taking cryptocurrency? <laughs> you know, so other questions. This is fun. Anything else at all? Yes, sir. Great question. So just for the recording, so people can hear that question, uh, do, does leadership training and financial training and other kinds of entrepreneurship play into that? By the way, it especially plays into that, I, w I found in urban settings, but even in other settings it does because what you're doing, again, is normalizing the idea of managing God's resources well. Because creating a business that's a lucrative business is totally God-ordained, right? and then managing those resources as well is great. But again, it, it creates a, a vibe where, oh, I go to this church and they're not afraid to talk about like business and money and stuff and it's not weird and pastor's not pounding the pulpit. It's just like a really interesting kind of way to merge your faith with your money, you know? So I, I definitely think that can be part of your generosity discipleship plan. Can I, I think one comment, just a curriculum that's out there called Yeah. has three chapters on yeah. Even there, you know, rooted. R O O T E D, like roots in the ground. And it is a very good, very good American, curriculum. Marriage church, they said that, you know, after it's over, usually getting increases and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just teaching the context of another piece of discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. You know, the one thing that's interesting is, like, let's say you're a church in here right now and you need, you need resources now. Just starting this process causes people to give more. <laughs> Before you even finish the process, just starting this process will have everybody go, oh, and pay attention in a different way, and the giving goes up. I work with a church in Austin, Texas, who, by the way, used Rooted after I, after I finished an assessment with them. But one of the things we did was we went in and did a congregational assessment and did a questionnaire, anonymous questionnaire, about giving and their interest in giving and their trust in the church and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I did some interviews with some of their people. I wasn't even asking for money. Nobody was even asking for money. But because we started to study it and ask people, their awareness went up. The Holy Spirit kicked in. And they're like, Greg, you didn't even do anything yet. And all of a sudden, the giving's already going up. I'm like, yeah, it's cause, just because these are good people. They just need to kind of get reminded and, and, and some process to help them grow in their generosity. Yeah. When you do your consulting work, uh, just ask, how much do you cost? And how long do you spend with the church? Yeah. So again, for the recording, when I do consulting, how much does, does it cost and, and how much time do I spend with the church? Yeah. It's very, very expensive to get me to come to your church. I'm kidding. It's not that expensive at all. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, we have an agreement with the EPC right now. And um, 
you can calculate it very quickly because we have a generosity cohort that goes through all of this material that I just shared with you with up to 12 churches and the fee is a one-time fee of 1% of your general budget. So that's how much it costs. Now, for churches that want more of a traditional consulting format that's not virtual and is like me coming to you, it can be, it depends on the complexity of the project, but just so you know, I'll be honest with you, it can be anywhere from fifteen dollars to $30,000. And it's usually over a six-month period with at least six on-site sessions where I'm personally facilitating your leadership team through this discussion. So you can either pay 1% of your budget, which for some of you would be like 3,000 bucks, and get all this material virtually. Or if you say, nope, Greg, we want kind of you on-site and we want to really work through the generosity discipleship plan, we negotiate a proposal. I work for Oxano, which is actually structured as a nonprofit which means I don't make any more money if I charge you more money. I get paid a salary and I work for a nonprofit, but I have obligations to charge you because I travel and things like that. So my boss makes me charge money, but I have competitors that will charge you more because they're on commission and so they get more for their family. I don't blame them, that's just not me. So that's how it works. Yeah, so we have across the EPC, anyone in the EPC now knows exactly what it costs to get generosity training from Oxano as of today. 1% of your general fund. We figured it would be easier that way, particularly since you just announced that you're now giving 1% of your general fund back to the EPC. And so what I say is, do the quick math. If you go up by 10 or 15 or 20%, it'll be a lot easier to give 1% to the conference. Now it's more of a discussion on what are you gonna do with the extra nine or eight or 15 or 13% not, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay 1% to the EPC? So that's my sales pitch for you. Other questions about what I do or how I can help you? By the way, that deal, if you will, the unprecedented deal we've done with the EPC is chronicled on this one-pager. And the one-pager has all the details about when that cohort happens. Um, there's a little, uh, what do you call these, QR codes because you need to register because there's only 12 churches that can get into the cohort this fall. But you can take one of these with you, take one of my books with you, and then you'll have my contact information and you can ask me anything, anytime. Anything else? I don't want to belabor because I know you've been here for a while. I won't go anywhere. We'll officially close out and then I'll stick around and I'll answer any questions you want me to answer. How are we doing? Plenty of time. Great. So we have plenty of time. I'm rushing you off, but... Yeah, anything at all about what we talked about today, about if you want to get professional help. I know some of us need professional help in other categories, not just giving, but I don't want to talk too much about my personal life. Yes, sir? You preached a great sermon. You're sure you're not going to take an offering? Yeah, that's right. We're going to pass the bucket right now. Is this, by the way, is this helpful? Okay, okay, good. So again, there's, there's a lot of ways you can engage this material. You literally can spend $10 on the book and never talk to me again. That's fine. It's in the book. It's a question, in my reality, it's hard to implement the book without help. Yeah. So here's, Bob's right. So he said, it's hard to implement the book without help. Here's why. I should, I should exercise. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes I need somebody to come alongside me and say, hey, you didn't come to the workout this morning. <laughs>